Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. The Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. Once again, we are on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. And in this conversation, we have the privilege to speak with Dr. Ed Romine. The topic of our conversation is going to be uh, Spurgeon and open-air preaching. Uh, before we get we begin, we want to thank uh, all of our listeners who continue to uh, support uh, this podcast and listen to this show. Uh, we're very thankful that you take the time to do so. We know that uh, if you listen regularly, you know some of our interests, and uh, we regularly like to talk about uh, Charles Spurgeon. We've had several people on to talk about uh, Spurgeon, the man, and different aspects of Spurgeon's theology, but we're especially uh, thankful today to have a conversation with Dr. Ed Romine on open-air preaching. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Romine. Thank you, Brother Austin. It's good to be here. And I must say, I really like that opening music. Y'all <laughs> might have the best in the podcast business. So, oh, Thank you for that, brother. Uh, those are kind words, and uh, we are excited to s spend at least the next several minutes together. Um, thankful for this time that the Lord has afforded us. Uh, but uh, if we have uh, interviewees that have never been on our show before, we usually like to start just by allowing them the opportunity to talk uh, about themselves by way of introducing, or introducing themselves to our audience. So, uh, brother, since you've never been on before, can you just take a few mo moments to do that for our listeners? Thank you, Brother Austin. As was said, my name is Ed Romain. And I live in Utah, but you can probably tell from my accent, I'm not a native Utahan. I'm from Texas. And the Utahans, uh, when they meet me, they think I'm exotic. They don't know where to place me. I've been placed in, you know, Alabama, Georgia, lots of weird places. But I am from Texas, born and raised, and God allowed me. I don't know if you can see it from the video, but I'm actually in a wheelchair. <laughs> and God allowed me to be born with a disability called cerebral palsy. Um, if any of your listeners know the name Justin Peters, Justin and I have the same disability. And to put my story short, how the Lord saved me, I just grew up with a lot of of bitterness because of my disability. I was raised by my grandparents and uh, they uh, were what I call CNE Christians, Christmas and Easter. And <clears throat> the Lord allowed them to teach me very general things about God, such as God created, such as God is good, such as uh, God is loving. God is all-powerful, things of that nature. And I remember as a young boy thinking, God, if you created me, and if you're good, and if you're all-loving and all-powerful, why did you allow me to be born with a disability? And they also taught me things that were not very true at all, such as because I was disabled, I would have a free ticket into heaven. So I didn't grow up 
in a very Christian home. And they sent me off to VBS uh, during the summers. And I hated it because it presupposed that one could walk and dance. And I didn't like doing any of those things. I was never really a showy person. And I didn't like being out in front of people. And uh, so I just grew up with a lot of bitterness in my heart. I never struggled with atheism. That was never one of my things. But I knew God existed. I just hated him. I tell people now I'm a, I was a rowing testament to total depravity. And uh, God in his uh, uh, bitter providence allowed my grandparents who raised me to die when I was about 14 years old of age, about six months apart from each other. They were both chain smokers and they died of lung cancer. And when that happened, dear brothers, uh, something inside me snapped and I just really wanted to go all out in my rebellion against God. And I got involved in dark demonic things that I don't like putting a bunch of emphasis on now. And we don't have time to get into for the purposes of this podcast. And from about 14 to 16-ish, I was really getting involved in dark things. And I was acting upon a fascination that I always had as a as a younger kid, I would scare my grandparents with like uh, having an over interest in the devil and things like that. And uh, when when I was young in sixth grade, I had gotten involved in beginner band. I play instruments. I ended up getting my bachelor's degree in music. But by the time I got into high school, I was getting pretty good because I practiced quite a bit. And God, in his providence, allowed the band director to recognize that I was getting pretty good by the time I was a junior in high school. So I was teaching or classmen. And this one student I had, he, he uh, uh, he would tell me about Jesus when Never we met up for lessons. And he did both. He he told me about Jesus and he invited me to church. And the way he did it, he's like, hey, I want you to play in my church orchestra. And he kept bugging me. So finally, I went and did it. And it was through uh, being at that church and listening to the blunt preacher that uh, God in his kindness gave me eyes to see and and, uh, regenerated my heart. And uh, as I said, I went on to get a bachelor's degree in music. And then I had every intention, dear brothers, of going on into music, getting a master's degree in it. I still play today. I I still love it. But uh, God opened up some doors and closed some doors uh, in order to make it clear to me that I was to go into full-time ministry. And uh, I ended up 
uh, getting a, a Master of Divinity, two THMs, and, and a PhD in Spurgeon. And if he had told that little boy that I would end up with a PhD in theology one day, I would have looked at you like you had a hole in your head. So that, that's been God's uh, uh, story with me so far. And I live in Provo, Utah, and I'm the director of education here at the church, which really means I do whatever needs to be done. I preach and teach a lot. I, I get the chance to do stuff like this nowadays, and, and I just love being on mission in Utah. And my study of Spurgeon has helped garner within me an evangelistic heart towards LDS people and other lost people. So I know that's why we're here today primarily is to discuss Spurgeon. But Spurgeon's been a big influence in my own ministry and thinking. So, well, Thank you, Dr. Romine, for that encouraging testimony. It's remarkable to see how God has worked in your life. And we're honored to have you on today's show. And the topic, as you've alluded to, and of course, as Austin did as well, is open-air preaching. So, Dr. Romine, perhaps before we get into some of the weeds regarding open-air preaching, give us just a little bit uh, of an overview of how Spurgeon has impacted your life. I know you said you've studied him extensively. Maybe, maybe share with our listeners a bit about how Spurgeon ultimately hooked your interest and what led you to devote such extensive study to him over the course of your academic and personal life. Even before I went in for my Master of Divinity, I have a set of what I call adopted Presbyterian grandparents uh, that would that got so excited when they heard that I was uh, quitting the music track professionally and going in the ministry. They started giving me uh, quite a bit of books, many that are up here that way uh, on this shelf and also on the other shelf over there that you can't see. <laughs> and one book in particular that they gave me, dear brothers, was a book. It's a small book, and I think your listeners may know the author, uh, The Gospel Focus of Charles Haddon Spurgeon by Stephen Lawson. I loved that book. I, I opened that book. I did not finish that book until the evening, and I started in the afternoon, and I read that book into the late evenings. And God used that book to not only get me excited about Spurgeon, but to get me excited about going into ministry. So, so that's what kicked off my initial interest of Spurgeon himself. Um, do you mind if I go into my interest in open air preaching as well? That'd be okay. Yes, of course. Yeah. So when, when I got to seminary, I, <clears throat> I did my first two uh, master's degrees at the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And when, when I got to um, uh, Southwestern, 
uh, I met this young man who was doing the bachelor's program at the undergrad arm, and uh, we became uh, close friends, and he was a young man that had been doing a lot of ministry in the, in the style and vein of Ray Comfort, uh, Todd Friel, that, that group, just a lot of open-air preaching. And uh, he said, I, I would like somebody to go out with me. I, I, I want you to go out with me. And I looked at him and I said, his name's Taylor. And I said, Taylor, I'm in a wheelchair. I can't do that. Uh, it'd be too difficult. And he looked at me and he said, uh, if you're willing to go, uh, I'll help push you around on the, on the streets. And I, I said, okay, I'll try. So my first time doing street evangelism and open air preaching was at a, was at a Dallas Stadium football game. And I'm not against football or anti-football, which is that's where a lot of people were, and that was a good spot to, to fish. And, and uh, we passed out a lot of good, solid, uh, reformed gospel tracks that day. And I opened there, preached for the first time. And uh, I, I was scared to death because I was out of my element. I had already done a lot of pulpit preaching by that point, a fair amount, I should say. But that was my first time <clears throat> opening up my mouth in front of a crowd of sinners. And, and that was in the fall of 2013. Oh, my goodness, it's been a while. So, so that's how I got interested in the art of open-air preaching and doing it in a God-honoring, uh, doctrinally sound, uh, to be very blunt with you, Calvinistic way. Uh, there's a lot of open-air preachers that are semi-Pelagian in their doctrine um, and that, that they are sinless perfectionists. They don't believe they've ever sinned since becoming a Christian. And uh, that's not the type of uh, gospel preacher I want to be in or out of the pulpit. So so that's how I got involved in open-air preaching. And then as I started reading Spurgeon, I got a hold of his seminal volume on ministry called Lectures to My Students. And... <clears throat> Within that book, and we can talk about this more in a second, there are two lectures devoted to open-air preaching. And when I asked people about that, they were like, no, I, I didn't know he, he uh, wrote anything about open-air preaching. Um, and then as I studied the 63-volume set, um, I realized that uh, there wasn't uh, very many, but there are a few open air sermons that he actually preached out on the open air. One of them was in, in a field, and then two more were actually on the horse race, the grandstand in Epsom. And in those sermons, 
I realized that nobody analyzed those. And so my, my dissertation was actually looking at those sermons and also, also uh, analyzing his lectures, hence the title and subtitle of my dissertation, uh, The Booming Baritone Bell of London, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Pedagogy and Practice of Open Air Preaching. So pedagogy, meaning teaching, for those who may not know, and then practice, of course, is the actual act of doing it. So pedagogy and practice of open air preaching. Uh, people, people have told me that that's a good alliterated title, and, and I don't have my Baptist card revoked, so that's nice. So, oh, yeah, I was going to say that that is good Baptist alliterating, brother. Uh, really, uh interesting conversation thus far we've enjoyed listening to you talk about uh, your interests uh, yeah. in Spurgeon and uh, open-air preaching and your testimony of how the Lord saved you by his grace um, but now we want to talk a little bit more about uh, open-air preaching specifically uh, in your last answer you kind of alluded to a distinction between pulpit preaching or how you described it as pulpit preaching and then open-air preaching uh, so mm -hmm. I'll just throw a number of questions at you and let you answer it or them, however you so choose to. Uh, what is open air preaching? How would you describe it? Or at least maybe how would you differentiate it from pulpit preaching? And uh, how would you utilize Spurgeon to explain what open air preaching is? Open air preaching, uh, dear brother, is any preaching that takes place outside. And I know that may sound very simplistic. <clears throat> some, <clears throat> some synonyms you may hear for it are street preaching. Um, um, also, I've heard before uh, Whitfielding uh, after George Whitfield. But um, uh, very simply put, it's any preaching that's not done in the context of a physical church building. So outside the literal four walls of the, of the church building. And you, there are different types of preaching done uh, in the context of the big umbrella of open air. So the most common that's done nowadays is is a uh, uh, brother gets up and he's got an open bible or nowadays maybe just his phone right and he opens up the bible or the bible app reads the scripture and just expounds it or uses a scripture to go off into a launch pad to a systematic presentation of the gospel. So, so that's one where, where a brother just gets up and starts preaching to foot traffic passing by. Uh, I've, I've done that before in various contexts, whether that be by AT&T Stadium in, in Arlington, Texas, next to Dallas. Uh, I've also done that in the context of of the busy streets of Provo where I live here. 
And then the second type of open air preaching, it, it's more pulpity in it in its nature. Where where and Whitfield did this one a lot. Whitfield open air preached uh, because he was ejected from preaching inside the walls of the building. So he said, "Okay, fine. If y'all don't want to have me in the physical building, I'm gonna." Go out to the fields, and he, and he <coughs> attracted large masses because of who he was, and he preached more traditional pulpit sermons in the open air. That that is less common today. You see a Whitfield-esque approach in like Ray Comfort, where he'll uh, attract a large crowd on a on the beach and then once he's got the crowd uh he'll he'll preach in a systematic way the gospel but it won't be a full-on exposition of a text so so there's a lot of crossover um uh so even with the distinctions the the main thing that differentiates pulpit preaching from Open airs, open airs done outside the walls of a physical church. How that's done can take on different uh, forms depending upon uh, do you have a crowd? Are you just talking to people as they're passing by? Or do you have a crowd formed like at a college campus where you may begin preaching to people that are walking by? But then as interest builds up, before you know it, you've got a, a gaggle of 100 freshmen uh, eagerly wanting to engage with you. Um, I've seen one brother do it at the University of North Texas where, where he has another mic set up. And interested college students can come up and ask him questions about uh, the Bible, philosophy, apologetics, you name it. And so open air preaching can also have a lot of one-on-one uh, -on -one interaction within it too if people engage you. And sometimes that engagement can be very nasty. Other times the engagement can be very uh, polite, intellectually satisfying. But either way, you're giving glory to God by being obedient. So did I answer all those questions? I forgot how many you asked me, brother. No, I think I think that uh, answers the question. The only thing that uh, uh, I included that perhaps we didn't allude to directly was how would you utilize Spurgeon to explain open air <laughs> preaching? But we we can perhaps uh, answer that in some of the previous questions that Dewey can ask now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's actually exactly where I was going to go with my uh, next question. Uh, just to think about the connection between Charles Spurgeon and open air preaching. Um, you, you mentioned some sermons, you mentioned some, some lectures that mm -hmm. Spurgeon has directed towards open-air preaching, explaining its role uh, in his ministry as well, uh, his convictions about it. Let's get, in, let's get into those details now, uh, Dr. Roman, if you don't mind. Uh, let's start. What, what do we find specifically that Spurgeon teaches about open-air preaching, and, and then maybe what particular role did open-air preaching have in Spurgeon's ministry? You mentioned some occasions in which he open-air preached. Would love to hear you unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so 
I'll start off with the with the lectures first because that's the order of my dissertation. And and just so you know, if you were to read my dissertation, the the first chapter deals with all the necessary uh, stuff, state of the question, literature review, all that, just showing why there's a need for for my work. The the second chapter. Um, I'm laying down a, an, an evangelistic uh, foundation for Spurgeon's uh, ministry. So, and I do it in a way that nobody else has done. So in the second chapter, I look at his expositions that he did um, in his service that were separate from his actual sermons. And I go through uh, every book of the Bible and show how uh, he taught Christ out of the Old Testament. And, and, and then I also show in the New Testament his evangelistic zeal. So just setting the foundation for the meaty chapters, uh, which are three, four, and, and, or four and five. Yes, four and five. So in doing four and five, which is the meat of my dissertation, four looks at the, the lectures. And in looking at the lectures, you will see if you have a copy of lectures to my students that he gives a lecture on the history of open air preaching. And then his second lecture is titled Open Air Preaching Remarks Their Own. So, so it's a lot more practical in nature. And in his history, he goes all the way back to the Old Testament saints, showing how Noah was a preacher in the open air, according to Spurgeon, showing how... <clears throat> the prophets were open-air preachers like, like Jeremiah, and then also showing how Jesus himself was an open-air preacher. Remember Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he walked along the shore proclaiming what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Spurgeon would have seen that as open-air preaching. Why? Because it was outside so so even beach preaching like what jesus seemingly was doing would would have been open air preaching and then <coughs> excuse me and then he also shows after biblical times how there 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 was preaching done in the early church in the open air all the way pre-Reformation. Uh, he talks about how there were unnamed friars who did preaching in the open air, kind of paving the way for, for the pre-Reformers and the Reformers. And Spurgeon has this uh, pretty wild claim as well. He believes in that lecture that, that open air preaching uh, was what fueled the Reformation even. Um, 
which, you know, that is obviously a debatable claim to be that blunt with him, but he is trying to uh, set a fire under his students to do this. And Spurgeon would not allow his students to preach in a pulpit until they have done at least some open-air preaching. That is why you've probably heard that Spurgeon, when students would want to be a part of the of his pastor's college, he would actually take a tape measure and measure their chest. And if they weren't uh, so big, I forget the exact measurements, he'd be like, sorry, God hasn't called you to preach. And one of those reasons is because uh, he wanted his preachers to be uh, open-air preachers. And I actually somehow forgot to talk about my second chapter a minute ago. But in my second chapter, I, I actually show Spurgeon in his context, how Spurgeon reacted to the to the Church of England, to to um, the the Roman Catholic Church, and how Spurgeon was considered as a dissenter. And I talk about a lot of the technological things happening. So kind of centering Spurgeon, the open air preacher, in the context of of nineteenth century Victorian England, and one of the things I try to point out is that Spurgeon, when when he was a young man, it would have been a very quiet world he lived in, for the most part. Uh, people got around a horse and buggy. When he was older, and as he grew throughout his 57 years, technology boomed, so the world got uh, louder. Um, you know, electricity was forming. Uh, Spurgeon used the first predecessor to the telephone. He flushed the first public toilet. You know, all, all sorts of neat things. And so Spurgeon, to bring it back to my point, Spurgeon would measure his students' chests, and if they were able to speak loudly um, with a big chest and diaphragm and really be able to like that, really move air past. I mean, I mean, they wouldn't be able to uh, be a preacher in Spurgeon's estimation. And I put a little footnote like, I doubt that Spurgeon would think that now with the advent of modern technology. But, uh, you know, Spurgeon was a man of his times. And so Spurgeon is in his lecture uh, trying to light a fire in his students. And he chronicles even Arminian preachers that he thinks are solid in, in, in the gospel all the way up to his current 19th century. And, and Spurgeon shows a great grasp of history and a very situational awareness of where he is in history. So, so he's a, if I may say a pretty decent historian and one of the things i did was for whatever reason in volume one of lectures to my students uh there's footnotes where somebody cites whether that be spurgeon or somebody else a lot of spurgeon's references that he uses 
in the history of volume two of the lectures, um, for whatever reason, there's not any citations. So part of my work is uh, finishing the job that Spurgeon started in a sense, going back and finding what works he was signing and showing current scholars exactly where they can find what he was signing. So kind of finishing uh, the job in the 21st century academic sense, as it were. So so that's the first lecture. He was just chronicling uh, open-air preaching all the way up to the, for him, current 19th century. And so that's it's pretty cool to watch him do that. And then in the... In the second lecture on remarks their own, uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's practical hints for his students. So, I mean, this is much more scattershot. Uh, there's not as much as a flow. He's just going boom, 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 giving out hints, uh, such, such as, you know, uh, um, don't uh, preach. Uh, with with nothing behind your back. Well, why why would he say that? He's like, preach up against the wall. Well, he knows that uh, open-air preaching can be very dangerous because you don't want people coming up behind you and, you know, attacking you in some sort of way. Um, he'll also say things like, you know, there's no need to scream and screech at the top of your lungs. Now, that's different than what I'm talking about, where you're uh, speaking with authority and filling your lungs up with air, speaking powerfully from God. But he is talking about just screeching at the top of your lungs. It's like nobody's going to hear you if, if you do that. Um, and then he'll also say things like you know oh i just i just forgot the last one i was going to say but there but there are many many practical hints that he that he gives and i had one in particular and it just left my brain so uh really thankful to hear how you have formatted your uh research your dissertation on Spurgeon and open air preaching and uh, the examples that you've given us so far about uh, what Spurgeon taught us as far as uh, historical examination of open air preaching. And uh, you started to get into some of the tips that he gave for open air preaching. Uh, if you can think of any more, that was, that was kind of going to be how we were going to uh, finish uh, the questioning on Spurgeon and open air preaching. Uh, the question is, how frequently did Spurgeon preach this way? I think you've already alluded to that answer. And uh, does he give us any tips for open-air preaching? You've said yes. You've given us at least one uh, tip. But can you think of any more uh, related to your answer on these questions? Yeah. So so this is one of the um, biggest things that I, I was actually thinking about. It just came back to my, back to my mind. So... Spurgeon believed that every minister should open the air preach. Uh, he he says in his in his lecture 
on on remarks thereof that uh, an easier case can be made for open air preaching, uh, preaching outside the walls of the church, than pulpit preaching within the physical walls of a church, which is a very bold statement to make, and that's that's how he starts out that lecture. And he says in a sermon uh, on evangelism, he he believes that preachers are in positive sin if if they don't open air preach. And you have to ask, well, what does he mean by positive sin? And I I believe he means uh, sins of uh, of 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 omission, knowing what you're supposed to do, but not doing it. So, actively sinning. And I I actually uh, take Spurgeon to task a little bit on that because w- what if some of his students were in a small town where where there's just not a lot of foot traffic. There's not a lot of the places where where people gather. Um, what what if uh, they are in a situation where their health is declining and they can no longer go out anymore physically? Uh, Spurgeon uh, never, to my knowledge, addresses uh, specific scenarios like that. Uh, he just makes this blanket statement and. <clears throat> In his uh, thinking on open air preaching, he he really um, ha- has this idea of almost open air open air preach or go home. You know, kind of like that famous uh, statement: "No Christ in your sermon, sir." Well, go home until you have something to preach. I I feel like he has that sort of attitude towards open air preaching. And, and it all stems from from his heart for the gospel, which which leads to my thesis, which was that open air preaching for Spurgeon was the driving factor, the motivating factor, the impetus for his evangelistic heart that's seen all throughout his pulpit ministry, and and he even says. At one point in the sermon, you know, I used to do a lot of op- open air preaching, but but I've quit. And and the reason why he quit is because he was having so much to manage with his open with his pulpit ministry and his pastorate that open air preaching just wasn't on his plate anymore. And you may think, well, wait a minute, isn't that hypocritical then? Because he said people are in positive sin. Well, his reasoning was, I've already got the masses coming to me to hear me preach. You know, I've got people busting down the doors to hear me preach. He didn't say it that way. That's that's my paraphrase. But, um, but he says for the average open-air minister, they need to be open-air preaching and then i was wondering would it be okay to talk about my favorite sermon which happens to be one i analyzed 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so my favorite sermon it is called Heaven and Hell. Heaven and Hell. And and that sermon, as you can imagine, guess what it is about? Heaven and hell. And in that sermon, Spurgeon is preaching in a field in Hackney. And in his sermon, he expounds upon the, the glories of heaven and the horrors of hell. The glories of heaven and the horrors of hell. And he <laughs> preaches on one verse here which is Matthew 8, 11, and 12, which says in the King James, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So there's the heaven section. Now look at the hell section. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, and, and it's very interesting that he, in his heaven portion, he's almost, uh, shall we say, post-meal in his thinking. Uh, he actually argues in the sermon, and your listeners can go back and read this on their own time, that there will be more in heaven then there will be in hell. There will be more in heaven than there will be in hell. And and he bases his logic uh, off of Christ winning over the devil. Let me just read you a portion of this open air sermon here. How often do I hear people say, Ah, straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. There will be very few in heaven. There will be most lost. My friend, I differ from you. Do you think that Christ will let the devil beat him, that he will let the devil have more in hell than there will be in heaven? No, it is impossible. For then Satan would laugh at Christ. There will be more in heaven and there are among than there are among the lost. God says that there will be a number that no man can number who will be saved. But he never says there will be a number that no man can number that will be lost. There will be a host beyond all count who will get into heaven. What glad tidings for you and for me. So very interesting language that Spurgeon is arguing that there will be more in heaven. I, I disagree with Spurgeon there, but you can see his youthful zeal. He was 21 years old when he preached this sermon in the field at Hackney in the open air. And then I want to read you one last section. Uh, and this is a portion from hell. And I want to ask you, dear brothers, uh, when is the last time you and your listeners uh, have really 
thought about heaven and thought about hell. And in so doing, uh, you really see Spurgeon's zeal. You really see Spurgeon's zeal. So this last section I want to read. Buckle your seatbelts. It's really intense. That was a dreadful dream which a pious mother once had and told to her children. She thought that the judgment day was come. The great books were opened. They all stood before God. And Jesus Christ said, separate the chaff from the wheat. Put the goats on the left hand and the sheep on the right. The mother dreamed that she and her children were standing in the middle of the great assembly. And the angel came and said, I must take the mother. She is a sheep. She must go to the right hand. The children are goats. They must go on the left. She thought as she went, her children clutched her and said, Mother, can we part? Must we be separated? She then put her arms around them and seemed to say, My children, I would, if possible, take you with me. But in a moment, the angel touched her. Her cheeks were dried. And now, overcoming natural affection, being rendered supernatural and sublime, resigned to God's will, she said, My children, I taught you well. I trained you up, and you forsook the ways of God. And now all I have to say is amen to your condemnation. <laughs> Thereupon they were snatched away, and she saw them in perpetual torment. While she was in heaven. Young man. What will you think. When the last day comes. To hear Christ say. Depart ye cursed. And there will be a voice. When the last. And there will be a voice. Just behind him. Saying amen. And as you inquire. Whence came the voice. You will find it was your mother. Or young woman. When thou art cast away. Into utter darkness. What will you think to hear a voice saying, Amen? And as you look, there sits your father. <coughs> His lips still moving with the solemn curse. I told you that was intense. Yeah, I, I think... Um... You know, Dr. Stephen Lawson, we mentioned him earlier in the show, and we yeah. were grateful to have him on the show um, a few months ago. And he, he's been well said to say the problem with preaching today is that nobody wants to kill them anymore. And, and that is that is powerful preaching that we need in our day. It's it's intense. It's um, yeah. sobering. But we need a resurgence of men who will proclaim the glories of heaven and the horrors of hell, which Spurgeon did such a amazing job not only in that sermon but also throughout the course of his ministry so and he was 21 when he preached that sermon 21. Yeah, that's, that's that's unfathomable i mean most 21 year olds today are more concerned with the latest video game or uh trying to figure out what they're going to major in in college uh, and, and and to think that there was a man who was that on fire for god and that focused on eternal realities it's motivating for me at 27 just to, to make sure that my priorities are in line and that I'm 
focusing yes. on matters as a preacher and as a as a Christian as well. Dr. Romine, thank you so much for joining us today. We've we've really just been blessed by your insights on Spurgeon and open air preaching. And before mm -hmm. we wrap up, I know we've covered a lot of ground here, but do you have any final thoughts, encouragements, or maybe even resources on whether it be Spurgeon, open air preaching, or anything else that we've talked about today? Yes. So Lord willing, I will have a book coming out with by the same title as my dissertation. So be looking for that, and I hope it'll bless many, many people. Um, if you don't have Dr. Jeff Chang's new book on Spurgeon's pastorate, it's simply called, I believe, Spurgeon the Pastor, published by B&H. That's a fantastic book you didn't know you needed. So please get that book. Uh, and then finally, <clears throat> I just want to say for any of your dear listeners out there who, who may have realized through this podcast that I am in danger of being separated on that final day from believing loved ones, from believing friends. Um, Brother Dewey, Brother Austin, and I would love nothing more than to see you uh, know yourself as a sinner deserving of the full penalty of God's righteous wrath upon you. And we want you to flee to the Lord Jesus Christ, flee to him for salvation, place your trust alone, your hope alone, your faith alone in him. And in so doing, you not only get your sins forgiven, but 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. You can get all of Jesus' pure, perfect righteousness given to you as a free gift. So when God looks at you, he sees you as a forgiven sinner with God's own righteousness given to you so trust in that trust in the jesus who died for sinners and rose again for sinners and was buried for sinners and ascended for sinners and will one day come back to judge and i want you to be found on that day clothed in the righteousness of christ worshiping christ and be on the right and not on the left and you will never have to hear amen to your condemnation. So please believe upon Christ if you have not. Amen. That would be my prayer and Austin's prayer as well. Dr. Romine, we've discussed some of our favorite subjects today, being Spurgeon, preaching, and the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, thank you so much for being a part of today's show. And to our listeners, we want to thank you for your continued support of the Covenant podcast. If you should have any questions about the gospel or about anything that we've discussed, please never hesitate to reach out to Austin or I. Uh, you can do so via social media. You can also do so via email through CBTS. Um, but until next time, we wish you grace and peace. God bless. <laughs>